Welcome to the Women's Football Podcast, where we look at everything from the WSL to the National Leagues and beyond. My name is Chess Warren and joining me once again from her game two, it's Lucy Ford. Hello, Lucy. Hi, how are you? Good, I'm good, thank you. And Lucy has some very exciting news for us, so we're going to stay tuned for that. And joining us for the first time on the pod is freelance journalist and German football expert, Alina Ruprecht. Hello. Hello, thanks for having me. Great to be on the show. Not at all. Thank you so much for joining us all the way over in Germany, although Zoom does make that a little bit easier. But somewhere that seems just as far away um, as Germany is up in Manchester at the moment. And that's where the big game of this weekend took place at Lee Sports Village as Manchester United, unbeaten and yet to concede in the WSL, took on current champions Chelsea. It was a tight game of a really fine margins, but Millie Turner's mistake led to Sam Kerr poking in the opener on the hour. And then just four minutes later, it was a return of the X as Lauren James smartly finished a sweeping Chelsea move. United were given hope when Russo ran through to finish, but after United failed to clear their lines, Aaron Cuthbert poked home a third in the 90 plus three minutes to secure a 3-1 win for the visitors. Afterwards, producer Luke got a reaction from both Mark Skinner and Paul Green in the post-match press conferences. So, Mark, in terms of you were trying to play out from the back and things like that, it was quite a risky strategy at times. Is that something that you feel like you should live by and die by as well? No, not necessarily. No, not necessarily, no. What, what we have to do is there's triggers in games to how a team will play, but... But for us, when they press too high and they have a front four that are aggressive against the line, we can go over that. And we did first half. So what we did was in that moment where we have control and they steal the ball and score, that's, that's not a pressure situation for us. That's not high press. That's a mistake from us. So it's not something you live and die by. Every team, if a team drops off, you play out. If a team gives you space, you occupy those spaces. What we could have done better first half, if you notice towards the end of the first half, once we move someone out, we move Nikita into the space and all of a sudden now Chelsea are a pain and we get out down the side. So, so it's not about living and dying by it, but what it's about is what the opponent gives you, you can always get out, but you have to have composure and quality. In that moment, we made a mistake. It's one of those, it's the big test, isn't it, against Chelsea? You've lost that, but are you seeing signs of improvement from last year when you faced the likes of Chelsea? Absolutely, like well, it was Mars. There were loads of moments in the second half where we we're much more competitive. The first half is a, probably an indictment of that, where we're actually it's, it, it's pretty kind of a, not the best game, but we're both in edges and both in moments that had territory moments, but it was pretty comfortable for us. It's those second half focus points that we need to be better at. Um, and you know, we acquitted ourselves much, much better than we did against them last year. Um, but we still can't allow them to think quicker than us and move quicker than us in those moments without blocking their runs. So there are things we'll definitely learn, but we'll grow in experience and it'll only feed our hunger for these next fixtures coming up. Congratulations on the victory. Um, you had to be patient for it, but you got there in the end, didn't you? Yeah, no, I think uh, we did. We did have to be patient, but I thought we were well worthy winners over the 90 minutes. I thought second half in particular for the first 15, 20 minutes of that when we got the two goals, I thought we played some really good football and um, looked dangerous every time we went forward. Um, so, yeah, no, I think we we deserved it. Uh, we knew we'd have to be patient coming here. They'd not conceded a goal before, but we knew we had the weapons in our squad 
that could hurt them. And I think coming here and scoring three tells tells that story. Yeah, there was that key period in the second half, wasn't it? It was like five or ten minute period where you were just clinical, weren't you? And especially Lauren's ball seems to really kill it off. Yeah, no, I thought Lauren arrived in the box just at the right time and perfectly finished it in the bottom corner. I thought she was outstanding all night, to be honest. I thought she was a real bright spark for us every time she got the ball and uh, looked like she was going to make something happen for us. And yeah, she was very deserving of a goal and I thought she was a constant threat to United all night. Do you think you feel you're kind of getting back to where you were last season now as well in terms of being really ruthless and solid defensively? I think we've got a lot of momentum behind us in this period. And um, yeah, I think I think we are getting back to our best. And I thought it was a good defensive performance tonight. Obviously, we, we gave up a goal through um, an individual misplaced pass. Um, but in general, I thought our defending was really good and, and we were solid, uh, you know, to come away from home to one of our nearest rivals. And I didn't think... And was tested that much. I thought we, we defended well and limited them to uh, the number of chances they had. Um, so, yeah, I, th I think we are getting back to that level. And now we go into the international break in a good place um, and look to welcome Emma back, hopefully, if, if her recovery goes as planned uh, for, the, for the next game against Tottenham at, at the bridge in November. Now, Lucy, was this a missed opportunity for Manchester United? Or do you think realistically they weren't going to get anything from this game? They have only ever picked up one point against Chelsea in their entire history. Yeah, I mean, like you said, like, obviously they've had a really good start to the season up till now. But I guess like the prior form against Chelsea kind of kind of just carried on with them, really. So, yeah, it obviously it's definitely going to feel like a shame. You know, no one wants to know a beaten run to come to an end. And especially, you know, they've kind of been competing with Arsenal that's off the table um, and I'm sure you go on to it on Arsenal's result this weekend and um, yeah they probably felt you know they, they kind of want to you know if they've got ambitions to kind of beat off the league those are the games that you're going to want to pick up three points from so yeah definitely it, it's it's a shame it's a shame we talk about golfing class a lot in in the WSL between especially those those top three um, top three teams. I think for a spectator, it was quite frustrating um, watching that game because it felt like the same thing that happened when Manchester United played City at the Etihad um, last season, where they just kind of sat back and let City come come to them was was happening again. All of the games that Manchester United have won so far have kind of been must wins if they want to kind of compete for that top three position. But Alina, do you think do you think Manchester United give Chelsea and the other top three teams too much credit when they play against them? Do you think they should bring them the game to them more? That's a good question, actually. I mean, United will be good that it all can be traced back to this one mistake and from then on it all went downhill. Um, I think it was obviously a good test for both sides, but it's the same thing for Man United every season. I feel like when they've like they have a great run of great games and great wins and they are super happy and they are far up on the table but then they come up against one of the big teams like Man City, Arsenal, Chelsea and then they fail to make anything out of it so there is an issue kind of and um, Man United definitely need to address that if they want to yeah um reach Champions League qualification at some point and all these things. There's a brilliant meme on Twitter uh, about Manchester United, both men and women, to be fair, but mainly the women's team, which is like a, a, it's a cycle with the logo in the middle. And it will be like, go on a five game unbeaten run, say that we could beat Barca or Leon in the Champions League, then gets beaten by one of the top three teams, repeat. And it is, it is what, what happens over and over again. It's a shame. It'll be interesting to see when they can finally break 
that cycle. But on a more positive note, Lucy, it was another record crowd announced at Lee Sports Village for a WSL game of 6,186 people, especially on a Sunday night. Doesn't it show how uh, good the game's growing? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I think that's the thing. I think obviously we knew with the Euros that there was definitely going to, well, we hope that there would be a real positive impact and the attendances will, you know, sustain and still be you know increasing um and like you said the fact that it's at you know you know 6 30 6 45 on a sunday and they're still getting over six thousand there um you know obviously manchester united men's team played earlier that afternoon um and you know still you know still getting that sorts of attendances is great and that's the thing it's like it deal, still feels like it's continuing and people are enjoying the wsl um and you know just women's football in general um, which is, you know, it can only be a positive thing. Off to the Midlands then, Arsenal stay top as they brushed aside Leicester 4-0. They went up 2-0 in the first 20 minutes of the game, thanks to Frieda Manham and Caitlin Ford. Steph Catley added a third on 37 minutes when her corner went straight into the back of the net. And two minutes into the second half, Stina Blackstenius added a fourth to add to Leicester's woes. Alina, there were some eyebrows raised at the start of the season when Jonas Eideval went for Manum over Viv Miedemar. But it seems like it's more than justified that he did that now, especially giving Viv some time out. Do you think there's something going on internally there at the club? Or do you think Manum's just kind of learning to take over that position when Viv inevitably leaves at the end of this season? I think it's like a thing of both aspects, actually. I mean... Uh, Viviana Miedema has, ha- has had to deal with some health issues, like still that issue with COVID she had during during the Euros. I think that might be a thing. And she's just played played every game for club and country basically so far and just had some small injuries in between. So it just makes it just makes sense to give her a break at some point. I mean, that's a big player, uh, one of the greatest that there is in WSL. So of course give her a break so that she can get back to her to her to her best self, to her to her best form, basically. But with Frida Manum, I think it's quite interesting um, because right now we're experiencing, we're like we're seeing her being shifted to a different position than she had previously. Previously, Arsenal played her as defensive midfielder, more as a six, and right now she's playing at, at uh, a bit of a playmaker between midfield and attack as, as number ten. And I think that's like um, that's also the position where she plays played at before she made the move to Arsenal, and I think that's the role that suits her best. And we can obviously see it with all the goals that she's scoring right now and all the chances that she's creating for herself and the team. And you can really see that she's driving at that number 10 position. So, um, of course, if you have a bit of an out-of-form Viviana Minima, which is difficult to say, not going to lie. And I'm really... And yeah, and then you also have Viedemann, who is really thriving. So, of course, you kind of get to pick Manum over Minima, which is, like, such a difficult thing to do. But also, if you look at Arsenal's like attacked all the players they have there also Stina Blackstenius who's on a great run in front of goal um Beth Mead obviously Caitlin Ford like how how are you supposed to keep all of these players like happy you can't play them all at the same time so of course you need to rotate the squad and give some of them like a break in between and just see who's in form currently that's such a hard decision to make obviously I don't want to be the head coach of Arsenal women right now because that's just too tough to decide to bench any of those great and brilliant players they have there. Yeah, and, and there are goals coming from all over the place too, which is probably adds to the headache um, for Idaval there. But Lucy, do you think that's a really kind of positive thing for the squad that they're not having to rely on 
an informed Miedemar or an informed Beth Mead that arguably they were like looking towards last season, especially as it took their new sign-in, their new striker, Stina Blackstenius, kind of a bit of a while to get used to to get used to the WSL. Do you think that's a really positive thing? Yeah, I definitely I definitely think so because you know, when when a team's doing well, you kind of want, you know, obviously there are certain players that you, you know, you do usually rely on. But the fact that, you know, the goals are being shared out amongst the team um is a really positive thing. And you know, looking there was like four different goal scorers yesterday. You know, that that that's only a positive thing. And I think, you know, they've just seemed to obviously they just missed out on the title last year. It just feels like they're on a bit of a roll at the moment. And obviously, I know it's only six games in, and you know they'll have a you know another international break coming up quite soon. But you know that positivity, you know, is, you can clearly see is running through the team. Um. So yeah, I think for Arsenal, it's 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 just a really exciting time for them at the moment. And then on the other side of that, um, for Leicester, Lydia Bedford and her gorgeous cockapoo have now left the club. They stepped down midweek. Um, she has been replaced um, by Willie Kirk, who's obviously been out for clubs since he was sacked from the Everton job, arguably a bit untimely um, last season. Um, he's a stalwart of the women's game. He's been about a while. He's a good coach. But do you think realistically Leicester are going to be able to kind of salvage um, salvage and scrap away from this relegation battle that they're finding themselves in at the bottom with the lack of recruitment that they've made? Alina, what do you think? Yeah, I think that change might have been surprising, but at some in some regard, it's also been necessary because Leicester obviously don't want to get relegated this season. And um, yeah, I think it will be very interesting to see who Willie Kirk might bring in during the winter transfer transfer window, um, because I think that could be really crucial um, to see um, where Leicester might go from on then. Um, but yeah, it was it was quite a quite an interesting thing that Leicester did there, like with Lydia Bedford, like still being on the presser and then saying. Her job is kind of safe and then like not even like two hours later she's uh, she's lost her job basically that was was an interesting communication strategy from that um from Lester there I'm disgusted about the cockapoo it's very adorable check out her Instagram um it's chocolate brown very cute and normally we'd move straight on to Manchester City but we've got to talk about the game down in East London which is a crazy game between West Ham and Brighton before we get into this at about 2 30 um on sunday producer luke sent me a text being like oh chess i don't know how we're going to be able to make make the time for the podcast tomorrow it's not looking like the games have been very interesting and then we got hit with a 5-4 away win by brighton oh my goodness this match had absolutely everything now the exactly the curse of the podcast struck again last week when we talked about hope powell and how we felt she'd turn it all around and then literally an hour after we posted the podcast uh, she got sacked So sorry about that. If you thought that was misinformation coming from us, um, you knew before we did. But interim boss Amy Merricks took charge at what was a topsy-turvy opening a game for her. It was a nine-goal thriller as Brighton led 3-1 and 5-2, but they were forced to hold on by a late Hammers rally as they climbed two places to ninth, courtesy only of a second win of the season. Lisa Evans put the Hammers ahead with a fortuitous cross-come shot but two goals from Dan Carter and one from Vitrika Sari had Brighton in front. But Victoria Williams's own goal halved the deficit going into half time. Cool finishes from Elizabeth Terraland and Georgia Fox seem to have sewn victory up for Brighton. But Vivian's Assay's late double set up a frantic finale, including almost 10 minutes of time added on. 
There was still time for Claudia Walker to stab wide with the goal at her mercy, which could have drawn the game for West Ham. The result continued Brighton's hold over the Hammers, having beaten them in each of their past five meetings, as well as winning four of their past five away at the Irons. Lucy, great advert, lots of goals. Maybe from a defensive point of view, a bit interesting, but it was entertaining nonetheless. Is there a specific player that stood out for you in that game? I mean, that's the thing. When you when you watch a game like that, you're just like, just like wow. Obviously, I'm sure both managers will probably comment on you know the defensive frailties, you know, conceding five and four goals, um, respectively. But just you know that sort of entertaining game is like it stands up and it takes people's attention and you know like you said usually you'd go on to Man City but this you know this is a really exciting game and I think you know from you know a Brighton Brighton perspective you know obviously Danielle Carter getting two goals you know within the first 20 minutes um but the goals from West Ham and Vivian aside like she got two goals in two minutes and I was like I think it's like 85th and 86th, and then with 10 minutes added on, you, you know, the momentum swings the other way. So, I mean, it's good, definitely good for Brighton to hold on, especially after their recent managerial change. Um, but, yeah, it, it's it's definitely definitely an exciting one. And, and that's the thing. I think that's what makes it so good because, you know, it might not have been a game that's, like, forefront of everyone's attention, but it certainly was the forefront of everyone's attention after the game finished. I managed to watch like a chunk of a chunk of the middle of the fixture and it it wasn't the best football I've ever seen um, in the world. Not that I could do better, uh, but still, I think it, it's fair to comment that maybe it was the, the pitch didn't help the conditions, but it was incredibly scrappy. A highlight for me, if anyone wants to watch watch parts of the game back on the women's football show, um, is the West Ham steward behind one of the goals who goes crazy every time they score. It's absolutely hysterical. She's the highlight of it for me. But from from the players' point of view, I think watching the goals back, a, a constant within that is Lisa Evans. Um, her runs down the right were where two of the main, main goals came from. She was able to hammer home the first one in the second minute of, of the fixture. It, it, she's one of the classier players they have for that side. But Alina, for West Ham to kind of do anything, do you think they need to, like solidify their back line they have the brilliant signing of um Viviana Sai and they have um Dagny Brian's dot here um their captain who loves West Ham and is doing incredibly well for them this season and with Lisa Evans too that kind of seems like a strong forward line but the defense just isn't there what would you do if you were Paul Koncheski coming into this January transfer window yeah as you said like um they have a great core of players that deliver every game like um and Viviana C who I know from the Bundesliga because because she because um before she went to West Ham she played for Bayern Munich so I know her quite well and that's a brilliant player who goes completely under the radar and maybe that game like hopefully that game has shown what she's able to to do in front of goal and how dangerous she is once she's given like the freedom and in the box and everything yeah i think <sighs> Just as many other clubs, West Ham are approaching a bit of a difficult winter transfer window. They obviously have to make some, yeah, signings for for the back line to strengthen them there because, like, in front of like front line is like really really good, but yeah, it's just not enough to equal the mistakes at the back. So they definitely need to, um, yeah, bring in some reinforcements. No idea. Like, I don't know what 
I don't have any any names, like any concrete names in mind, but um, there's definitely something that needs to be done because I think West Ham are a really exciting team to watch. And I think they have great um, potential, but they just need to, yeah, really get that potential out of them. And I think to really do that, there's reinforcement needed. Over at the Select Car Leasing Stadium, Man City made it four consecutive wins in a row as they took all three points at Reading. It would have been a day that the Royals captain, Emma McCundy, will want to forget as she put it in her own net twice. Bunny Shaw then added a third to leave City fourth and three points behind Manchester United. I guess it's always the question that we have to ask, who will hit that third place spot? Will it be City? Will it be United? Will it come down to when they play each other? Lucy? Yeah, I definitely think it's going to come down to when they play each other. I think, obviously, like I said, both of them have started pretty well. Um, obviously, apart from obviously Man City's first game of the season, they seem to have hit a bit of a positive run. Obviously, Man United's unbeaten run has come to an end now. So I think the next kind of couple of games will be interesting. And obviously, when they play each other as well, I think that's going to be crucial. Um, obviously, you know, Bunny Shaw scoring again. Um, it's a really, really good thing. Obviously, they've got you know, Lauren Hemp. You know, they've, they've got the stars. Obviously, they did lose some players this year. And it always felt like this year was going to be a little bit more trickier for Man City. Um, but, uh, you know, after that bit of a rocky start, they seem to have kind of turned the corner a bit um, and picked up some, you know, obviously, you know, result that they were probably expected to win it, you know, against Reading. Um, but, you know, it's it's a win nonetheless. And, you know, it takes them right behind their, their Manchester rivals. Lauren Hemp seemed to be the star of the show once again. Do you think she's, like, soaring in the WSL at the moment? I know she's just signed a long-term contract with City, Alina, but do you think there will be interest from elsewhere to maybe poach her out the club? It's always the thing with Manchester City that if you can keep Hemp quiet, um, you can potentially keep the team quiet. So is there an issue there that there she's kind of their star player? I mean, there's been a lot of rumours about things being like going wrong behind the scenes at Manchester City. A lot of players like having discussions with Garrett Taylor, not being happy with the way he manages the team. And I think like star players like Lucy Bronze or Kira Walsh um, leaving Man City. I think like Kira Walsh has been at Man City forever, basically. And then her, a player like her leaving the club, that should really ring the alarm bells there. And I think... If there's some issue with him, like if she's not happy with the management either, that would be a big, big blow. Uh, like losing her would be just, it would be disastrous for Manchester City because what a quality player she is. Um, but I could definitely imagine that there's other big clubs in Europe that have an eye on her. I think that's only natural. Reading are one of those teams, though, looking at the other side of this fixture, who are always kind of down there um, at the bottom of when it comes to resources, maybe there's not the same level of investment um, given to the club. But then, to be fair, they aren't linked to a Premier League team, so we like we we allow that. You know, they might not have the same amount of investment coming in from the back. Do you think this is kind of as good as it can get for them, especially as Deanna Rose, who's kind of their their young star player, um, is out with a long term injury, Lucy? Is there going to be any upset? Do you think they're going to be able to get in any um, kind of impressive players over in January or is it just just it? Yeah, I just think maintaining WSL is, you know, is good for them. Obviously, yeah, losing Deanna Rose is a massive blow, to be honest. And they always seem to be like down there. But you, you never know with football. I remember last year watching their game against Chelsea um, and, and bringing in a bit of a surprise on them. So... 
you know, you just, you can never tell with football, but yeah, I definitely think it's going to be quite difficult for them. And obviously um, with themselves, you know, obviously Brighton as well. Um, Leicester, obviously, you know, not recruiting well. They'll probably all be the ones down there. So, but yeah, I just, it, it's always, you just, like you said, you just, you never know in football, but, but obviously, like you said, I think with them not being linked to a Premier League club probably does make it harder. Whereas the other, the other teams in the league, the other 11 are all Premier League clubs and all kind of sustained Premier League clubs as well. Whereas obviously Redden are in the, in the championship. So even though they have, you know, they, they do have quite a big ground, the, the um, women's team play at that ground as well. And I've been there myself. It's a really nice stadium. Um, it's harder when they're not in the Premier League. The first WSL meeting between Liverpool and Aston Villa took place at Prenton Park and it was a Rachel Daly penalty that secured all three points after Kirsty Hansen was brought down by Rachel Laws. Villa seem to be in quite a solid position, aren't they? Um, Alina, we talked about Carla Ball at the start of the season, whether they could push top four because they were absolutely flying, but they are in sixth at the minute. Um, what do you think of how kind of Carla Ward has changed this team, especially with all of the drama that's surrounding Aston Villa at the moment? Yeah, I think Carla Ward is a great manager and what she's done at Villa was like really good. If you just look at and look at the position they were in before she took over and she's brought in, she's brought in some really, really good signings. Just think of Rachel Daly after the Euros. That was like a really standout signing and um, yeah, it really paid off um, bringing her in. But also Kenza Daly is a great player, I think. And um, I think she could really thrive at Aston Villa, like because there she's given more freedom than she um, got it at Everton, for example. Um, I think Villa have all that it takes to really, yeah, make it up far in the table, like over, like from a long-term perspective. They won't get a Champions League qualifying spot this year, but maybe in a few years if they continue to, yeah, bring bring like good performances like they do right now. I think really promising team and um, yeah, really fun to watch. There was a big chance missed in this game um, by Alicia Lehman. Uh, she could have passed for a tap-in as there were two players over to the left side of her, but she took a shot and yeah. she hit the post and then missed. With Aston Villa, do you think they're do you think they should be worried about falling foul of maybe the big characters that they have um within the team, Lucy? Uh, because if the game would have ended nil-nil, that miss definitely would have been highlighted as something that they kind of needed to address. Yeah, definitely. Um it's funny because we obviously we talk about Arsenal and, you know, not relying on those big players, but the other ones are stepping up. And I think with Villa, I think that's the same. Obviously, Alicia Lehman is, you know, a great player. There's no denying her talent. But, you know, I think it's harder as well when, you know, she has been the one that's been scoring goals. Obviously, she's been in the WSL for, you know, several seasons now with obviously West Ham, Everton and now Villa. Um, and, yeah, it, it's one of those ones where, you know, it it would, def it would definitely have been highlighted a lot more if they had drawn. Um, but I want to talk about Rachel Daly again because she is just on form. Every time I look at the scores and it's like, Aston Villa are winning. Rachel Daly's scoring again. I was like, wow, like she's come back, obviously, from, you know, playing in America to playing back in England, obviously, the Lionesses as well. And, and and she's just she's just banging them in all the time. I know it was obviously a penalty, but you know her confidence must be absolutely flying at the moment, and and that's really good to see. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. It's been a great signing for Aston Villa. Whoever negotiated that deal, whatever they're paying her, it's worth it because um, it's a great signing for her. they they completely lacked last season the player who could actually hit the back of the net. 
And now they've bought a player who can hit the back of the net, even though she gets played at left back for our national country. Um, but which is always interesting to see um, whenever you kind of, whenever you check the England team sheet, it's like, oh, will she be played the centre forward this week? No, she won't. Um, but she can really bang goals in from uh, left, right and centre, which is really lovely to see. Liverpool, though, on the other hand, kind of been a bits and pieces start for them so far. Still only um, that one win against Chelsea at the start of the season, which was on the opening day. Do you think they have enough to stay up or is there a little wobble? At least they're kind of starting to score now, but still they should be kind of getting points from a game against a team like Aston Villa. Alina, what do you think? Yeah, it's a tough question. Um, I think the win against Chelsea, that was just like very, very chaotic with all the with all the penalties, basically. So it's not like they beat Chelsea from open play. It was just because of those penalties, basically. And I think there's not enough coming from Liverpool from open play. They're not creating as much as they might need, as they might have to have to. Um, I mean, there's promising scenes. There's pro- promising. Yeah, they, I think there is potential in some way. But if it's enough, good question. I think only time will tell. But if you look at like the relegation battle, there could be a close one this year, actually, with Leicester also. And yeah, um, yeah, we need to see how Brighton continue to do under new management. Um, but yeah, Liverpool really need to make sure to stay focused and uh, yeah, just keep going and really try to make something out of the potential they have and like, create more from open play. And um, yeah, maybe that will help them to stay up. The game between Spurs and Everton, though, was called off due to a waterlogged pitch at Brisbane Road, but there was a lot of criticism that came from the players there as it was only a few hours uh, before kickoff and all of the travelling fans obviously have come down from Liverpool to see a match played in London. So that'll be an issue for the future. Taking antibiotics when you don't need them puts you and your family at risk of a longer and more severe illness. Always take your doctor's advice. Search NHS Antibiotics. Onto the championship now, and the weather was also the winner there, with only three games taking place. As Lewis versus Bristol, Crystal Palace versus Sheffield United went by the wayside. The Bristol City postponement meant that London City had the chance to close the gap to two points, which they duly did, thanks to a hat-trick of set-piece goals from Sinead Hopcroft. Two free kicks and a penalty gave them a 3-2 win over Birmingham, for whom Louise Quinn scored twice yet again. Charlton moved to fourth after a 2-1 win up at Durham City. Emily Simpkins put the addicts ahead from the penalty spot before Beth Heppel equalised with a penalty of her own and Melissa Johnson's 40th minute goal proved to be the winner. After the game, head of football Lee Sanders issued a rallying cry on social media asking people to remain patient and that they will look into what has gone wrong and will look to fix it as Durham currently are only in 10th position. The other game saw Eddie Leake's 83rd minute winner give Blackburn a vital 1-0 win over Sunderland. Now, Alina, you are our German football expert. It's why you're on today. First question, not to rub it in, but what was your reaction to the Euros final defeat? What was it like in Germany? Um, I was actually at the final. I was at Remley Stadium. But from what I've heard, the reactions back in Germany, everyone was really enthusiastic about Germany playing in the final. And of course, England, Germany, the good old football rivalry. But I think a lot of people, um, me including, were really um, surprised that um, Germany made it this far during the Euros. I remember I was on a different podcast and I literally said that Germany might uh, exit the tournament after the group stages or even after the quarterfinals. I didn't expect them to go this far and a lot of people didn't. 
um, expect that either. So it was just great. And like they sparked a lot of enthusiasm and um, yeah, gained a lot of new fans in Germany. And really, um, yeah, and we also have that past Euros effect here in the Bundesliga with a lot, with a lot more people coming to the games and like the yeah, the national team players like really being hyped in some sense. And um, yeah, and that's really great to see actually. So despite the defeat, and um, there's been positives to take from that final. That's really surprising to hear, actually, because I would always um, put Germany as one of one of the kind of key teams throughout the tournament. Had there been kind of like a dip in form coming into the Euros or was there an injury crisis? What, what was the main reason why you didn't think that they would do very well at all? Um, the main reason was obviously, um, yeah, a few key players are missing. Um, Jennifer Marojan, who tore her ACL, um, Melanie Leupold, who was pregnant at that time. And um, there's also been an issue with the backline, um, with the German backline. They didn't have, like, they didn't find the perfect uh, centre-back center pairing um, prior to the Euros. And um, they also, like, I think one of the last games they played before the big tournament was a World Cup qualifier against Serbia, which they lost. And um, the coach really experimented a lot. So there wasn't, like, the one starting eleven. Like, ev- like every time Germany would play, you would just have to guess the starting eleven because you would you might have known, yeah, well, of course she's going to put Merle Froms in goal, but that's it. that was the only reliable figure in that team, basically. We didn't know about the others. So it was a lot of experimenting, not finding the right centre-back pairing, a lot of changes in formation and lineups. It was, like, very, very hasty. It wasn't very calm and composed as you might have wanted to be before going into such a big tournament. Tell us how the Bundesliga has been so far. What's happening this weekend? I've heard that Georgia Stanway already has a game suspension for the amount of yellow cards accrued. So, you know, water is wet, nothing has changed. Um, But is there anything else that's particularly stood out to you in the season so far? Yeah, I mean, that thing with Georgia Stanway is quite funny. Um, She's got, yeah, what was it? Five yellow cards in in seven league games. And I think, yeah, I mean, a lot of people like react in a very funny way to it. But at the end of the day, uh, she should really work a bit on her discipline because uh, her missing for Bayern would be, yeah, already some some kind of big blow because she's been in the starting eleven ever since. And she's made, she's really made an impact for the team. And it's great to have her there and have her in the Bundesliga. I mean, great, great player. Um, and yeah, um, apart from that, um, Bundesliga is quite a competitive league. Um. And I think that's something a lot of people don't have on their radar. And of course, it's like Wolfsburg leading the table again. Um, Bayern are currently third. Eintracht Frankfurt in second place, which is quite, which is quite good to see um, after they missed out on Champions League qualification um, during summer. And um, yeah, so it's a bit like the, the image we know quite well um, in the table. Um, but I think quality has stepped up. Um, you need to keep in mind that our league is not fully professional Yet, I really hope that's going to change at some point because then we have more, even more competition, even more quality in the league. And um, yeah, we'll have a new TV deal um, from the next season on. So um, a lot of UK viewers hopefully might be able to um, watch more of the games. And yeah, it's just, um, yeah, as I said, as I said it again, like the Bundesliga has great, great potential, great quality. And I think right now it's really starting to show. And I hope that there will be a bigger audience um, from the next season on during the due to the new TV deal. Back to the domestic uh, league here in England. It's the Women's FA Cup first round this coming weekend with teams from lower down the football pyramid hoping to make headlines, looking to upset the national league teams that have come in at this round. Lucy, is there any match you're particularly looking forward to or any teams to keep an eye out on? 
Oh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I love the FA Cup. I mean, it, it, that's the thing. It's kind of the ideal of, you know, you know, this is what you look forward to. And I think this is where, you know, teams that are lower down in the period and are, you know, smaller in size um, can have the opportunity to play in, you know, the uh, the cup. Um, for me, um, I know that my my local side, unfortunately, didn't, didn't get through um, in the FA Cup. Um, British Rovers women uh, got out in the last round. But um, I know that um, Cainsham Town as well, pretty local to me. They've their um, same kind of period as um, at Cardiff City. Um, so I'm hoping to see them. I'm hoping to see them, see how they get on as well. Um, so, yeah, just uh, just any kind of teams in the, in the local Bristol area, really, because I think that's what it's about, you know, especially if you're playing like a bigger team. And I think the FA Cup as well, you know, the funding has increased, which is really important. It's, it's an opportunity for teams to play bigger grounds, test themselves against, you know, international players. And, yeah, we, we want to see upsets. You know, we want to see the big teams kind of, I don't want to say go out, but you never know. There's always shocks. It's always just 11 players versus 11 players on the pitch. The beauty of the FA Cup to bring out all of the little criticisms that we always say about that. Producer Luke keeps texting me to say that he's particularly excited to see Puckle Church, Puckle Church ladies play, because that's a yep, wonderful got, name for a football club. They're Absolutely down in Bristol. They're, down, they're very local to me. So, yeah, I think one of my friends um, plays in that. So, yeah, I'd be be really good to see them and yeah I've just I just had a look in um Cainsham Town are away at Weymouth as well so there's some great fixtures all across the country but Lucy you are head over at her game too and I'm delighted to say that you've got some exciting news to share with us don't you yeah so yeah I'm one of the original co-founders and um, and we are super 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 excited that we have partnered with the women's uh women's football podcast which is you know we are really really excited about you know we're we, you know we're really keen to you know promote women's football to to highlight it and um what better way to partner up with a podcast that really highlights and puts a shine on on the game and you know um couple of our um, our ambassadors who you know watch women's team I know um Sarah she's one of our Aston Villa women ambassadors I know she's very keen to you know come on in the future and and talk about it I know she'll she'll be very shocked that I name drop her but yeah she's been um yeah she's been amazing and you know she's such a such a supporter of her of a team as well as you know so many of our of our girls so yeah we're really really excited so stay tuned, listeners. You're going to be hearing lots more from her games too and their associates over the coming weeks and months as we continue this partnership. We're super excited here at the Women's Football Podcast. That's all from us uh, for this week. We're going to be back next week to review the action and bring the latest news from the women's game. As always, follow us on Twitter at TWFP1 and on Instagram at the Women's Football Podcast. Please subscribe and leave us a review as well. Thank you very much, guys. Have a great week.